Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. Our show will educate you about OA's 12-step program so you recognize the symptoms of compulsive eating and find the support you need in a program that works to help you control your eating behaviors and maintain a healthy weight. In this next hour, you will realize you're not alone and that there is hope for recovery and a whole new life free of obsession with food and weight. Now, here is your host, Naomi LaPelle. Good afternoon and welcome to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step solution to compulsive eating. I'm Naomi LaPelle, your host and managing director of Overeaters Anonymous, also known as OA. We're providing this 13-week series to educate you about OA and how it works, so you can decide if it might be something you want to try. On today's episode, we'll be talking about a plan of eating in Overeaters Anonymous and how it's different than a diet. Compulsive eaters aren't like normal eaters. They have a problem with their eating patterns and their relationship with food. Normal eaters stop eating when they're full. Compulsive eaters don't. Normal eaters don't hide food or plan plan how they'll secretly get to it when no one's around. Compulsive eaters do. Normal eaters don't use food to comfort insecurities and fear or to provide escape from worries and troubles. Compulsive eaters do. Normal eaters don't feel guilt and shame about their eating. Compulsive eaters do. In OA, members learn that their problem isn't weakness or willpower. They have a disease. When food is in front of them or calling to them, they can't trust their best intentions or willpower to guide them in making good eating decisions. They've made hundreds of resolutions to themselves and others, tried every diet, therapy, hypnosis, and pills, maybe even surgery, but they just can't stop eating compulsively. Using a plan of eating as opposed to a diet is the beginning of freedom from all that. Instead of depending on resolutions and willpower when at the store, in front of the refrigerator, or in a restaurant, OA members develop a sensible daily plan of eating in advance that includes what, when, where, and how much to eat. This plan that they follow every day, one day at a time, helps separate them from their eating and gives them welcome relief from all those decisions about food they usually have to make all day long. Reducing the time they think about food clears their head so they can focus on their recovery. An important place to start in this process is by taking an honest look at your eating history. When did your compulsive eating start? What was going on at the time? What about your eating patterns? What foods did you overeat in the past and which ones now? What foods do you crave the most? When do you overeat? Is there a connection between your eating and what you're feeling at that moment? 
Another critical aspect to look at in this process are your strong preferences for certain foods or food groups, like foods with sugar or a lot of fat or both, junk foods, salty foods, or anything in large quantities. Which foods make you crave more once you start eating them? Are there certain behaviors that you keep doing, like eating until you're completely stuffed or even feel sick, starving yourself until you're weak and then binging in secret, hoarding food for later, eating for comfort or while driving, reading, or watching TV? In OA, we recognize that no two people are the same, and so problem foods and behaviors, nutritional needs, and plans of eating can really vary. So it's important that you work with a healthcare professional and have the support of an OA sponsor when you're putting together a food plan. And make sure that your healthcare professional is aware that there are certain foods that you just can't eat because of the cravings they cause in you. Joining us today are two guests from OA who will talk about their process in putting together a plan of eating that's worked for the long term, and will also talk to registered dietitian Teresa Wright about how she sees OA's program as effective in its approach to a plan of eating. Since anonymity is an important principle of our program, we'll only be using OA members' first names. We'll begin with Justine from Indiana. Justine, are you there? Yes. Hello. Justine, welcome. I understand that you've maintained a 55-pound weight loss for over 25 years? Yes, I have. I entered OA in 1980 and then began recovering actually in 1985. That's fantastic. So briefly, what were you like when you were struggling with compulsive eating? Can you give some specific examples from your life before OA? Yes. Um Physically, we, we talk about recovery in terms of physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery. So physically, I was, as you mentioned, um, I was 55 pounds um, over the weight that I am now, um, So, and that was steadily going up. So I, my weight was out of control. My compulsive eating was out of control um, and had progressed to the point where I was eating continuously. The only time I wasn't eating is if I had a planned activity like work or um, something you would expect, you know, that would hinder that eating process. Um, and I was also at times binging, so gathering large amounts of food and um, having binging episodes. Um, so physically, I was um, I was very unhealthy, um, obese, emotionally very depressed, and um, carried feelings of hopelessness a lot, uh, a lot of unresolved feelings because I was eating over my feelings. Typically, I wasn't really processing them and, and dealing with my life events. And spiritually, um, I didn't have um, guidelines for living. I didn't have uh, a faith that worked and, and a perspective about life that was hopeful. So that tells you a little bit about what it was like before I started recovering. And what kinds of things did you try before you came to OA to help manage your weight and what happened? Not specific programs, but you know, sure. what kinds of things did were you trying? Uh -huh. I, I did at age 18. My mother also um, had this disease. She just died from the disease in July, actually. And my first time going to an organized weight loss program was when I was 18, and I went with my mother because she was making attempts on a regular basis to deal with her out-of-control eating. Um, I was aware before 18, so I did try some self-imposed restrictions, you know, trying to do it differently. Um, after I was 18, went to college, I, I had a consult for hypnosis, which as a college student I couldn't afford. Um, mm went to lots of therapy. I thought that if I, I had enough insight into myself 
uh, that I would eventually have the self-power, you know, the, the um, willpower to be able to say no to the overeating and the depression without, um, you know, any other action. So I, I did go to a lot of therapy to try to make changes. And then I just came up with my own uh, reading in a magazine or just my own, you know, diets that I created that, of course, were not, they were not sound diets. They were not healthy. And those were always short-term. Yeah. What um, happened over time was I just continued to gain weight and continued to be more um, kind of demoralized by the whole experience and, and had a lot of shame because I wasn't able to stay with those and have any progress over time. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, when you came to OA, how did you approach putting together a plan of eating that was different than all those things that you did in the past? Yes. When I came to OA and actually um, surrendered to what the program was suggesting and followed, you know, the the dignity of choice and um, the literature and sponsor suggestions, I made a list of all the foods that were trigger foods. I looked Mm -hmm. honestly at the patterns, but it wasn't just the trigger foods, but the patterns of eating, um, the quantities that I was eating, um, so I made a list of all. I made a list of those so that I that I would know what I needed to stop and what I needed to do differently. What was that like for you to make that list and then look at it and it was pretty be honest shocking. with yourself? Uh, it was shocking, and it was really important to do it with the support of a sponsor because I think if I'd have been doing that on my own, um, I think the shame and just the um, you know the embarrassment about the way I was eating might have overwhelmed me. Um, yeah. But it, but the the great thing was that it it was a step toward freedom because I was I was getting very honest about about how I was eating. Yeah. What were some of those um, triggers or or mm-hmm. patterns that you discovered? Mm-hmm. Um, I did discover that I had specific patterns with uh, certain foods, and one was refined sugars, desserts. Um, I, that was probably my top three of foods that I would seek out if I had a choice and had the money. Again, in college, I was frequently strapped, and so that affected my choices, but financially strapped. Um, so I, um, uh, but if I had a choice, I was buying sweets and desserts of any sort. Uh, fried foods uh, were a huge trigger. Bread, and if I was eating a lot of bread, I always wanted more bread. That was um, an addictive food for me. Um, patterns in terms of behavior, just not being able to say no to the food at any time, uh, other than, again, if I was in a, a work-related meeting or somehow um, structure in my day that kept me from it. But otherwise, I would overeat on the way to work. I would overeat on my breaks. If I could get away from my desk, I was going down to the machines to get more food, um, drive throughs on the way home, uh, eating a couple meals in the evening. I might have a pizza delivered at my back door uh, late at night. Um, so just continuous eating and, um, and I found that when I put certain foods into my body, I, I wanted more of that. And I think that was just a huge awareness in terms of understanding that this is a disease and addiction, not, uh, not just a simple problem with my eating, that it was a disease. Right, right. When you, when you did start working on um, writing down your triggers and putting together a plan. Did you, you said you worked with a sponsor. Did you also work with a healthcare professional, like a dietitian or a doctor? Early in recovery, I did not. Um, but later I did. I, I, um, as I learned more about my health and, and, and what I was eating and how I was eating, I did consult with a nutritionist 
that was extremely helpful. Early on, I just knew that, I think I knew that if I just stopped the things that I described a few minutes ago, anything other than that had to be better. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I right. put some parameters around my food. I, my, my food plan's always been three meals a day, nothing in between, because I don't have any, I, at that time, I didn't have any medical conditions that required snacks or a metabolic or anything, and so I would eat three meals a day, nothing in between, and I knew I had to stop the sugar, um, and I knew I had to back off the breads and uh, deep fried foods, fats. Um, so sure. I knew some basics, and I did use the dignity of choice early on to give me some guidelines to weigh and measure my food. And the dignity of choice is a, a pamphlet that Overeaters Anonymous offers as some guidance Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a place yeah. to start, anyway. We certainly don't recommend any one food plan, but yes, it's a place to start. Right. And and just for our listeners, that particular pamphlet does have some um, suggested plans in it that other members have used, and um, were actually the plans were reviewed by um, by Teresa Wright, who we'll be talking to later. Um, you know, to make sure that they were healthy and and had everything that they needed for a balanced plan, um, but they are certainly not required. It's just um, suggestions, and and members can use those as a starting place, or they can see their doctor or dietitian or work with the sponsor. You know, it's very individual. Um, what works for one person will work differently for another. Um, one of the things you hear in that way a lot, and really all twelve step programs, is is one day at a time. So um, we just have a couple of minutes before we take a break, but how has this philosophy helped you in sticking with your plan of eating for the long term? Because you've been been at this for a really long time. Mm -hmm. It was essential and it probably really saved my life because I always, when I dieted, I always thought in terms of forever, like I can never eat this food again. I can never go back to the way I used to eat. I'll have to do this forever. And um, those diets lasted a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. And in OA, it helped me to think in terms of one day at a time because uh, we have a saying in OA, I can do for one day what I could never do if I had to do it for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I knew that just for today, I could follow that plan of eating. I could talk to a sponsor. I could work on those first three steps. I could um, read the literature. I could go to an, an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I knew that I could use the tools for that one day, um, then the next day I would make a commitment for for one day. And the one yeah. day added up, and the next thing I knew I had a process of recovery going. Also, I want to say real quickly that since I was a, a relapser for the first five years in the program from 80 to 85, one day at a time absolutely helped me to have the hope that I could come out of patterns of eating that were very destructive for me and, and that I that I couldn't stop on my own. So uh, very interesting for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's time for us to take a quick break. Um, we'll be back with Justine in just a minute. Um, this is Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stay tuned. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What do we really know about the healthcare system? With recent discussion in the news and not knowing where to turn for the right answers, be sure to tune in for The Healthcare Police with Matt Atwood and Strom Thomason. From insurance companies to medicine, government to your hospital, we'll go in-depth to bring you the true story of our healthcare system, what's working and what's not. The Healthcare Police is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to sound bites from overeaters anonymous with naomi lapel to find out more about oa please visit www.oa.org now back to today's program Welcome back to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with Justine in a way about her plan of eating. So, um, welcome back, Justine. Uh-huh. You were saying that, uh, the one day at a time philosophy really helped you while you were in that period of relapse. Uh-huh. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Um, something important to me is that I, when I was dieting, I was very hard on myself if I ever went outside the diet. And and the the beautiful thing in Overeaters Anonymous is that we learn to forgive and love ourselves. So when I was coming out of that relapse, I really worked hard at accepting that although I had a food plan, I weighed and measured. If I ate a quantity quantity that was a little more than, than I should or if I, you know, I, if, I, if I made a choice that when I was dieting I thought was the end of my, my um, successful experience, I could talk with my sponsor, I could get support, I could forgive myself and move on. And that is one of the key points for long-term recovery for me, was that I didn't get stuck in that and, and, and just throw the whole thing out. I continued my recovery and therefore didn't go into, in the last 27 years, did not and have not gone into a, a full-blown relapse because I accepted um, a mistake on occasion or, or a poor judgment on occasion and moved on to continue recovery. That That's great. And that's such an important point that that, that support, it sounds like, was just so crucial for you uh-huh. because you could just fall back into that cycle of feeling guilt and shame and then eating your trigger foods because you feel guilty and then uh-huh. you're starting all over again. Um, when you when you're presented now with uh, a trigger food or with a temptation, um, uh-huh. how do you handle it? 
I thought about that question earlier, Naomi, and I think the, the very, very awesome thing about OA recovery is that after the ninth step, I'm thinking about the promise that says that we will be placed in a position of neutrality when it comes to the food. Um, the idea that when we work the steps, um, at some point the compulsion is removed, the cravings are removed, and that is my experience. So when I thought about what if I'm presented with um, wedding cake, you know, if I go to a wedding today, I don't have the compulsion to eat it, and that's directly due to the step work. So, um, but I do know that in the past when I was active in the disease, I would eat over I could eat over anything, um, and today, because of step work, I just don't have that. Today, I have tools to deal with the feelings or life experiences and events. That must be an incredible freedom for you, considering what it was like all those years before. Oh, oh yes, but I'm not. Um, my life isn't driven by the next compulsive bite. My life is driven by um, relationships, and I, I became an artist. Uh, which I had lost through the disease, um, being able to do. I work with teens on my job, being able to be available to them and really present and, and supportive and helpful. And um, so it's nice to be driven by the passions in my life and not by um, how much I'm going to eat or how much I ate or how much weight I'm gaining. So that, That's just fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you for the opportunity. And- and congratulations on, on the success that you've had and, and that you'll continue to have one day at a time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now I'd like to welcome Marilyn from California to the show to talk about her recovery in OA. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Naomi. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, so you lost 120 pounds and you've kept it off for 34 years. Is that right? Yes, by God's grace and through the help of this program, it's it's actually a miracle. I, my life is truly a miracle because truly when I came into program, I could not stop eating compulsively. I just could not stop. I had tried every diet known to man. Every time I walked through the aisle at a grocery store, I'd pick up the magazine hoping that this might be the thing that I would do next that would save me from whatever cycle of self-destruction that I was in, but nothing ever worked for me because I had no clue what was wrong with me. It was when I came to Overeaters Anonymous that I began to get that clue as to that this is a, a deadly disease uh, for some of us and, uh, and that I could get help here. Yeah. And um, were you experiencing health problems as a result as well? Well, I came into program when I was 21 years old, and by then, I actually did have health problems. I was having a lot of pain in my back and uh, my pain in my joints. I was 120 pounds overweight, trying to exercise, trying to run, uh, doing all kinds of crazy diets. Mine, my diets were binging and starving. Um, don't eat for three days, and then I'll break it, and I'll have one of something, which became a dozen of something. So I was, my blood sugars were up and down and all. All around my teeth were having problems because I had begun night eating, eating during the middle of the night and sometimes waking up with food that was half chewed in my mouth that had been there all night. Uh, oh my I, gosh. Yes, yes. It was became pretty bad towards the end for me. Yeah. Wow. You've been through a lot. I have. <laughs> <laughs> when you um when you came to OA and you started um working on a plan of eating, did you feel like well, been here, done that. What's going to be different this time? 
Well, the first OA meeting I ever went to, I knew that it was for me. Um, we often use literature at meetings, and they were using a book um, that at the time it was an AA book, but they did mention that we needed to ask a higher power for help. And I can remember distinctly that thought was like, I know I'm in the right place because I know I am beyond human aid because I had tried many things with doctors, many all, all kinds of diets, and I knew when I heard the word that God, I knew that I was in the right place because I needed something divine to help me um, because, again, I could not stop eating. And so I was grateful when I came in here and heard that there was going to be help that was beyond me. Yeah, so as you knew, this was something different. Yes. Um, in in uh, As we mentioned earlier and in, in OA's pamphlet, A Plan of Eating, um, we talk about taking an honest and courageous look at your eating history. And Justine had talked about that, your eating patterns and your binge and trigger foods. Um, I imagine you must have gone through a process like that, too, at the beginning. Yes, definitely. In the area, I I've, I've grew up in OA in the Boston area, and uh, the culture that we were in in OA was that you find a sponsor who has what you want and you ask them how they achieved it. And implicit in that is that you would do what your sponsor does. Um, at the time that I came in, uh, in 1978, the Dignity of Choice was a pamphlet then um, that we, ha- we had available. And the suggestion in my area was that we don't eat flour or uh, white flour or sugar and we weigh and measure our food. And I, I always say that I'm definitely on the development team of, of of how to do OA in every single way that does not work um, because over the next <laughs> five years um, I, I found a way to work program that didn't work but the, the, the bunch of us that were in the area um, when I came in in those early days we began to notice things we began to notice that gee you know what I try to eat flour of any kind and I want more I want I just want more, so it's probably easier not to have it. We were having soda as a service job at meetings. Well, gee, you know what? I could drink a trough of soda. I think there's something wrong with that. So we found it was easier to stay abstinent by not drink using the artificial sweeteners and sodas. And for me personally, I found that caffeine was a huge trigger, so that trying to have caffeine or even the decaf coffee that has a certain amount of caffeine in it uh, was a trigger for me, so that not having that made my abstinence easier. So so having weighed and measured meals with nothing in between except for me, except water, it was like, wow, I'm not triggering myself. I can actually do things in between my meals because I'm not triggered with that phenomenon of craving that is beyond me. So, Yeah. And what do you do now when, when you're presented with a trigger? Well, just like Justine mentioned, thankfully, you know, it does uh, say that we're, you know, I... Uh, We'll recoil from food as if I'm a hot flame or safe and protect or haven't sworn off that the problem has been removed. That's what it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which we use and change the word alcohol to food um, and alcoholic to compulsive overeater or food addict. Um, that's one of the promises is that we will have that neutrality. But in the beginning days of my program, when I, when I was faced with something, you know, it's, it's a process um, as you're working these steps uh, to move beyond the food, I would just have 
have to remove myself. In the early days, there were places I just couldn't go, um, and there were things I just couldn't be around. And if there were smells, I couldn't be around. And if it was too hard to be in the kitchen, then just get out. Um, and also clearing uh, and filling the refrigerator with foods that supported my program, um, having the food in the house so that when I wrote it down at night, I would have it there and wouldn't have to swing on the refrigerator door for every meal to decide what I was going to have. It was a plan, and there were amounts, and they were committed. Those amounts were committed to a sponsor who was going to help me stay accountable to the commitments that I was making. Commitment is a huge part of the recovery process. To actually do what you say you, to, to do what you said you were going to do is a huge part of also self-esteem build, building because I always felt like such a failure because I started the diet, this time I'm going to do it, and by the end of the day I had broken it. I always say I should be an apostle. I've had so many last suppers because this was going to be the last <laughs> supper and I was going to get back on the diet, and then I was always failing. And so um, the, the process of recovery is, is threefold, as was mentioned. It's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And uh, and and that's how it works. Yeah. So you said that you said you talked about commitment and I'm curious what's different about the quality of your commitment since you came into OA than before when you were committing to yourself in the morning and by by the evening you had already broken the commitment. What's different about that? Well, what's different is um, the tools of the program that uh, are mentioned. There's a pamphlet out there that describes the things that we do on a daily basis, like abstinence being a weighted and measured food plan, having a sponsor, which is someone who you can be accountable to, and, and going to meetings and reading the literature daily, practicing anonymity so that we, you know, we, we share a lot of personal information in programs, so we want to make sure that we um, don't um, break each other's anonymity or, or lead to gossip and uh, we, we do service. And so those tools are the handrails uh, to this working the steps. And so first having that, that plan of eating and saying to a sponsor in the morning, this is what I'm going to eat, and then having that commitment, knowing what I'm going to be questioned on it the next day, not like an inquisition, but, hey, how did you do, um, knowing that I had a groups of people around me at meetings that were all trying to do the same thing. It was that positive peer pressure in some respects. Also having a food plan that did cut, up, cut out the triggers that would set up that phenomenon of craving, which was beyond my control, as it, as it describes in the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It talks about that our bodies were as sick as our, as abnormal as our minds. So not eating those foods that would set up the phenomenon of craving was a huge part in me being able to f- fulfill the commitment because I wasn't triggering that physical allergy, again, that was beyond my control. Yeah, and I imagine each time you you successfully kept your commitment to yourself each day or each meal even, um, or when you didn't indulge in a, in a trigger food that, that maybe had been in your vicinity, that must reinforce each time that that bit of success reinforces for the next success. Would you say Absolutely. that? Absolutely. You experience Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the beginning of building self-esteem and self-care. My, my behavior was so self-destructive before, and working the program was a way of building a life, not tearing it down. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I love that, that it's, it's about building your life. Yeah. Um, 
We are going to take a break in a minute. Um, I would like to ask you a little bit, um, you mentioned earlier about weighing and measuring. So when we come back, um, we'll talk a little bit about that process for you and how that works. So we're going to take another short break. You're listening to Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous on Voice America. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it. I tried counting calories, I took pills, eating and eating, and then more eating. I really wanted to stop, but nothing could make me stop. At one point, it was so bad that I just felt like giving up. I felt so alone like nobody else could possibly understand. We understand. We're Overeaters Anonymous, and we have helped thousands of people just like you. People who want to stop their compulsive eating and start living a healthy, rewarding life. Overeaters Anonymous, help me get my life back. Now I eat in a way that's healthy and good for me. I never realized what I was missing out on. With OA, I am living again and loving it. Start living the life you deserve with help from Overeaters Anonymous. Find us on the web at oa.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Marilyn about her experience using her plan of eating while in OA. So um, I wanted to ask you about weighing and measuring um, because there, our listeners might not really know what what that's all about. So can you talk a little bit about that process and, and particularly how um, it, it sounds, people might hear that as like it's a burden or really too much work. Thanks, Naomi. Yes, I, it's, I always thought when I first came into program, I thought that, that weighing and measuring my food would be the prison sentence, but it turned out to be the key that unlocked the door to the jail cell that I was in that from, with the bondage of food. Um, I have a digital scale, and it weighs to the tenth of an ounce, and it does tear between each uh, thing that I can put on the plate, so it's a wonderful thing. And I write down my food the night before, and again, this was a food plan that was worked out with a sponsor um, with health in mind and with personal allergies that I have, uh, like dairy products and soy products I can't eat. And then uh, and I have the foods in the house, make sure that I shop, uh, have enough food in the house to fulfill my commitments. And then I uh, cook foods, and I'll often t- sometimes weigh out for a week ahead or a few days ahead. And I have plenty of Tupperwares to support uh, the, 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 the commitments that I make. And 
it just works. It becomes a way of life. I can remember when I first started doing it, it felt almost like I was learning a racket sport. I felt all gangly and the ball was <laughs> getting dropped. And, and, but it, it's interesting that after doing it for a period of time, it just becomes what I do. This is just yeah. what I do. And I think the attitude about having to do it is huge as to your success because if I feel like I'm a victim of this program, then I'm going to be with a ball and chain weighing and measuring my food. But if I feel like, as I do, that this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, that this is a gift from God and this is the way that I can have the life that I always wanted, then I'll learn it and I'll learn it with an eye to be grateful to do it. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. What an attitude shift. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what do you do when you go out to a restaurant? Do you do you bring do you do you bring uh, a scale with you or do you kind of have an idea of what is an appropriate uh, serving portion for you? Okay, well, there's, there's, I was brought up in where that we learned um, to go to an est- restaurant and actually eyeball, as you call it, and that four ounces of beef is not a cow, um, and that less <laughs> is more. <laughs> And, but people in, in OA do it differently. There are people that do bring a scale to a restaurant, and I can tell you that I have. Um, I often need to go on trips, so I'll have to eat out many meals, and for me, that's just too much uh, to do to have that many meals out, so I do bring a scale. Oftentimes, I'll bring food with me to a restaurant to supplement. There have been times where if it's a very casual restaurant, I just bring my meal in with me, and I'll speak with whoever the hostess is and say, gee, you know, I have food allergies, and they, they have no problem with me just having a glass of water, and I usually leave a tip when I do that so that uh, just to be sensitive to whoever the, the wait staff is. So I've done different things, um, but the point is is that eating out is not a free-for-all. It's, and I'll tell you, if it becomes a free-for-all, you're going to be wanting, want to be eating out all the time, and, and then, therefore, that would lead to having a break in abstinence. So that's why I've been, I was taught early program not to do anything in a restaurant than I wouldn't do at home because if I'm going to go out and have all these fancy goulashes spiced to the hilt food um, at a restaurant, then why would I want to eat at home? I would find every single way to be in a restaurant. But if I was taught to keep my food simple, uh, and in keeping my food simple, I would set, again, I would not set up that phenomenon of craving that would want me to do, have food do something for me that it can't, which is fill a God-shaped void. Um, and that what I need is the grace of God in my life and not food as an anesthetic to get through things. And, and again, when I get into getting food, having food be entertainment, then, wow, that's a danger point uh, for me because food is fuel. It's fuel for a healthy body. It's not supposed to give me... Uh, hope and peace and entertainment right. and, you know, a Disney World experience. That's not what food is for. That's what life and God is for. Right. Do you find that you still enjoy eating, even though it's changed for you over time? Well, the great thing is that there's so many, I live in California now, so there are so many healthy, my friend in program says, we have clean, crisp, colorful food. You can make a salad that actually is a work of art. It's beauty um, in its nature and green and and some red pepper and some things. You can make food, and, and I'll look forward to hearing from our, our professional, but there's, you know, food is 
is for the fuel for our bodies, so it's okay to like the food. Now, if anything is, uh, again, if I like food to the point that I can't live without it, I have to look at whether this, this particular food for me is an issue. That's where we look at the trigger foods for us. And um, But, yeah, no, food is a healthy thing. I do enjoy my meals, but then I can get up from my meal, and because I haven't set up the phenomenon of craving, I can actually live and do things between my meals because I'm not biting my nails um, till the next one. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your process and your experience with us. It's, it's really just fascinating to hear, you know, what, what you've gone through and the commitment that you've, that you've found and that you've kept for all these years. Um, I'm curious, has your plan of eating changed over time? Um, it has in respect to, I've, I have, I, I found out over time, and it's interesting, um, that I did have food allergies. I saw an allergist, found out, surprise, surprise, I was, I am allergic, um, to flour and to, for me, for dairy products and, and some other soy items and, 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 they say um, that if you have are, are allergic to a substance, you tend to crave it. So, yes, I have taken out some of the foods that I used to have in the beginning. I've I've been in program almost 35 years, so I'm a little bit older, a little bit less active. So, you know, eating a little bit less food than I have in the mm-hmm. past. Um, but always weighed and measured food with nothing in between. And for me, I do water in between. And I'll tell you, it makes for beautiful skin and all the healthy processes in your body. Um, it helps to do detoxify the body so it's a wonderful food plan and, and i love i just love this program love that's to so it. great thank you thank you so much for sharing with us marilyn you're welcome uh, my pleasure our last guest on today's show is Teresa wright a registered dietitian who has a nutrition center in philadelphia pennsylvania thanks for joining us Teresa. thank you for having me so um Let's see. Do you find that many of your clients have a problem with compulsive eating in particular as opposed to simply being overweight? Yeah, most of my clients are compulsive eaters of some kind. Do they do they discover that uh, in their process of working with you or is it something they kind of already know that they have an issue with when they come? Well, if they're referred to me from OA members or from other clients, most have the idea that they're compulsive eaters already. If they're coming from the the newspaper or the phone book or their doctor's office, they may or may not know this, and then I need to help them see what's really going on for them. Yeah, and and why do you think members might be afraid to see a dietitian, or members or or clients, really? Being a dietitian is scary. People have often encountered health professionals that don't understand the addictive model and don't understand compulsive eating, and they might have been hurt by judgment and, and condescension or or that idea that that they have no willpower. You know, willpower will not work in this situation. Um, and the second reason is that people want to eat normal food and food that tastes good and food that's seasoned, not diet food. And they often want to eat their own ethnic foods or they have to have a food plan that accommodates the reality of their lives or their schedule or their food preferences. And I reassure them that we can do all that. Wow, that's great. Um, for for your clients who've been dieting unsuccessfully for many years, which are, which is the case often with many OA members, what do you tell them uh, as far as approaching their plan of eating that's different this time from what they've done in the past? Well, I tell them that a diet is a period of deprivation followed by a weight gain of twenty pounds or more. Uh, 
<laughs> that's that's pretty black them, and white. <laughs> and I tell them that the binging and the funny stuff they do with food is the abusive behavior that they use to gain those 20 pounds. And I tell them that an effective food plan finds the middle ground between dieting and binging. I want the food plans I write with my clients to have enough food to meet their hunger levels, so I don't want my clients to be hungry more than 10 minutes before a meal. I want to meet all of their body's nutrient needs. I want to get all of their binge and drug and trigger foods out of the food plan, and I want the food plan to feel safe and comfortable, and I want the food plan to give them the key to get the food far enough out of the way that they can begin to have space for their emotional and spiritual growth. You know, the 12-step process is designed to teach people to manage problems either that came before they started eating abusively or that made their abusive eating worse. And I want people to be able to create the joyful, useful life they really want. Yeah. Do you have them write down trigger foods and behaviors like uh, Marilyn and Justine talked about as well? I do. But my purpose with doing that is a little bit different from... If they're writing with a sponsor or another OA member or another friend, they're looking at what was going on with them. My purpose is to look for what their binge and drug and trigger foods are so that I can write a food plan that removes all those foods and the other foods that work in the body like those foods. So Uh I think Marilyn said that she found out that when she started to not eat white flour, other flour-containing foods triggered her allergy. So I set up an individualized food plan that takes out all of the foods that behave in the body, like the drug and trigger foods, and that also helps them meet their weight and recovery goals. Yeah. So why why do you think OA would suggest their members see a dietitian or a healthcare professional rather than developing a food plan on their own? Well, you know, you said already that I helped write Dignity of Choice, and I think a standard food plan can work in the beginning, but I also think that food plans need to be individualized for members' tastes and lifestyles and for their body's needs. I want my food plans to fit my clients like their favorite pair of, of walking shoes or their sneakers. It needs to be solid and supportive and comfortable enough that the, the person can use it walking through their lives. Yeah. Um, looks like it's time to take another break. So um, we will be back shortly. You're listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Could you be living with imbalances and not even know it? Tune into Hormonal Happy Hour with Dr. Angela DeRosa. Hormone imbalances can be the root cause of several common issues, including weight problems, heart disease, decreased mental function, and even impotence or other problems in the bedroom. Whether you're a teen or in your golden years, there's a lot to take from one episode of Hormonal Happy Hour. Stop by every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you figured out what's not working in your life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaron, for Let's Figure It Out. Tamaron has had both highs and lows in her life, 
She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to live a better life through health, relationships, and more. Her guests also come from the health and wellness industry, and together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get your life on the right path. Let's Figure It Out airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's no secret that teen girls and young women all across North America are struggling with diminished self-worth, depression, eating disorders, and self-harm. The good news? Tune in to The Mary Walden Show for a mental health boost. Raising and empowering young women, mind, body, and spirit. Join Mary and her guests, clinicians, artists, musicians, and researchers to get the knowledge and the know-how to build resilience in teen girls and young women today. The Mary Walden Show airs live Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with Teresa Wright about her work with her clients at her nutrition center in Philadelphia. Welcome back, Teresa. Um, what is the most difficult thing or things that you see your clients go through when they've developed a plan of eating with you and now they're working to stay on it? What kind of advice do you give them? It's fear. It's fear of failure. It's fear of deprivation. It's fear they won't be able to do it. Um, I ask them to try the program and reassure them that we're going to change it or we're going to teach them how to follow a food plan. Um, I don't let my clients feel hungry or deprived, and I teach them to use the food plan in handling the various situations that happen in their lives. Yeah. Now, some, sometimes I've heard, I've heard people talk about um, experiencing hunger, thinking it's hunger, but it's actually not hunger. Like that yeah. might be their their first reaction to a stressful situation or to whatever's going on at the moment um, and discovering as they're working through the program that what they thought was hunger wasn't necessarily hunger. So when you say you don't want your clients to experience hunger, how do they find that distinction? I ask them to look at where the hunger is in the body. If the hunger in the body is in their stomach, then maybe, and how long have they has it been since they last ate, then... Maybe it's body hunger, but oftentimes the, the cravings that we talked about earlier are really what's coming up. When they're, supposed, when they're feeling like they want to eat and it's not time on their food plan to eat, I ask them to look at the craving with an attitude of curiosity. You know, what's really going on here? Is there something else happening that, that I should be listening to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a good time for them to call a sponsor or do some journaling or um, talk with an OA, OA buddy. Absolutely. I help people plan for situations where they're going to struggle with the food, like the wedding or um, uh, a social event or a restaurant where they feel like, you know, this is a place where I used to binge before and I used to be able to eat half a wedding cake and what am I going to do now? Yeah, and, and they have to plan that ahead of time. Yeah, that could I could see that being a, a kind of threatening situation at the beginning. 
it's scary. You know, living abstinently, eating abstinently is one thing, but living your life abstinently, it's like living on a different planet. People who come to me with compulsive eating disorders have been struggling with this for the better part of their lives. And it takes time and energy and learning new skills to learn how to do this. I have a client who's going to India this month, and I have another client who's going to Israel for six months. And we've spent a lot of time on the phone talking about how they're going to handle a 16-hour plane trip and how they're going to handle living in a different culture for a period of time and how they're going to know what food is safe for them and how they could be comfortable. Right, right. Wow, that's so you really cover everything with them, all the different kinds of situations. Um, now, some um, Mary or Marilyn had talked about uh, weighing and measuring, and um, is this something that you recommend as well? Do you find that some of your clients just they realize they can't trust their own judgment about serving sizes? I don't think it's a matter of judgment. I think it's a matter that they've been eating compulsively for a long time, and weighing and measuring really helps clients be honest with themselves about what they're eating and what they ought to eat. But more important, Naomi, the point for me of weighing and measuring is to change the balance of the calories and nutrients in their food plan in such a way that the cravings are diminished and the body has had enough. If the client doesn't weigh and measure in the beginning, there's no way to be sure she's getting enough food and the right balance of food for her. Mm-hmm. Wow. And now, some clients weigh and measure only at home, like Marilyn does, and some of them decide, I'm going to take my scale on this trip to the restaurant, but on that trip, I, I don't want to take a scale. So I teach them how to estimate differently, and I do want my clients to recalibrate their eyeballs in some way. I want them to notice how what they've been eating um, is, needs to be shifted so frequently. People need to eat more vegetables and more protein than they expected to eat yeah. or that they eat when they're in their, in their, their compulsive yeah. eating behavior. I haven't met anyone who binges on Brussels sprouts. Who binges on what? Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and then there are, there are others who don't who don't weigh and measure. So I just I just want to um, yeah, emphasize that it's, it's not a requirement necessarily. It's not a requirement. But if they're not going to weigh and measure, then we have to find some other way to to pay attention to the balance of of the nutrients in their food plan. What Marilyn yes. said that her attitude is huge to success. And she doesn't want to do in a restaurant what she wouldn't want to do at home. I think those are really important issues, and they have to have some way of knowing that they're getting the right kind of food and the right amount of food. And um, there's a a saying in in OA, uh, it's called HALT, H-A-L-T, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, which um, seems like a really healthy kind of... um, red flag. Do you find that you you work with your clients on that? Yeah, absolutely. The body needs to be fed every three to five hours while you're awake. And for some people, if they go longer than three hours, they're going to want to eat everything that's not nailed down and doesn't bite back. Other people can go five or six hours without difficulty, but we have to adjust that for the individual person. Mm -hmm. And when people have been compulsive eaters and they have strong feelings, they need to learn to use the tools of the program instead of the food 
to help them process and manage that. Yeah. How do you see the 12-step program of OA um, helping for long-term healthy weight maintenance? Because that's such a challenge um, for people. I think it's absolutely essential. Maintenance is often harder than weight loss. Lots of clients tell me they reach their goal weight for five minutes on a bunch of programs, but then they can't maintain it. When we come to maintenance, we have to increase the food to stop the weight loss, and that's scary. And then the high of weight losing is gone, and the effort of struggling with food and eating and body weight is gone, and it feels like you're walking into a different reality. Um, The 12-step process is what teaches your members a different way of living, a way to create a joyful, useful life. And that process is what they need to continue long-term. That spiritual process that we've talked about, that process of allowing our higher powers to help us with all of the difficulties in our lives, that process of using sponsors and, and the 12 steps to, to handle the other pieces of our lives that we don't have to use food to manage our feelings. That's so important. And having yeah. that spiritual connection... I tell my clients, you know, without a spiritual program and a strong support network, I don't see people who've recovered from compulsive eating the way Marilyn and just. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's almost time to wrap up. So um, I want to thank you, Teresa, for joining us and sharing your insights with us. It's very interesting and very helpful. Thank you for having me. And thanks also to OA members Justine and Marilyn for being on the show today and sharing their personal stories. It's very inspiring. Um, If you have tried every diet under the sun and you find yourself losing weight and then gaining it back and more, maybe there's another solution for you that will not only help you achieve and maintain a healthy weight for the long term, but also give you a whole new lease on life. Your plan of eating in conjunction with the 12-step program of Overeaters Anonymous is key to long-term recovery from compulsive eating. Go to our website at oa.org and find a meeting or call us at 505-891-2664. Join us next week on Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous when we'll be talking about OA's nine tools of recovery. Thank you again for joining us this week. Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until next week's program, may you find support, acceptance, and hope for a renewed life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.